kind of burden or care, Lord Jesus, that we can bring that to you and you will carry it for us, Lord. And we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your endless love. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. Well, the good news about these special kind of Sundays where we have all these extra activities is that I've prepared a special hour and a half long sermon for you. So I know you can't wait for me to jump right into that. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'll actually try to keep it a little short today, but every time I say that, I end up going, you know, 30, 40 minutes longer. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So uh, again, welcome if you're a guest with us today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series right now looking at the life of Abraham, and we're looking at God's promises to Abraham. We're in week four of a series uh, entitled A Nation, a Name, and a Blessing. If we remember, start at the beginning of our series, we began in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abram to leave his home, to leave his father's homeland, and to go to a land that he would show him. God promised to make Abram into a great nation. He promised to make his name great, and that he would be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So Abraham goes, as the Lord instructed him, and his nephew Lot went with him. And through a long series of events, he winds up in Egypt, where he never should have been. Comes out of Egypt, God delivers him after a few bad decisions there. And then him and his nephew Lot come back into the land of Canaan. The land can't support them, and so they split ways. Canaan Lot decides, I did this last week, I said Canaan when I meant Lot, so forgive me. But Lot decides he's going to go to the lush and fertile-looking region. They left because of a drought in the first place. So Lot decides, probably like most of us would have, hey, that spot looks good. I'm going to go that way. Lot goes that way, and then lo and behold, some warring kings from Mesopotamia come in. They attack the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. They take Lot captive. Abram goes on this big rescue mission, 75, 76-year-old Abram. He goes and he rescues his nephew Lot defeats these other kings, come and brings all the loot back. And then afterwards, God appears to Abram. And he tells him, don't fear. We're in chapter 15 at this point. Don't fear. Your reward will be very, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. God was promising to protect Abram and be on his side and always be his shield and his salvation. And he tells Abram that his reward will be very great. And Abram, remembering the promise that God had given him, that he had promised to give this land of Canaan to his offspring, says, yeah, but God, I don't don't have any offspring. And the person who's going to inherit everything I have is this man born in my home, uh, Eliezer, Eliezer of Damascus. And God says, no, that man won't inherit all that you have, but your very own son will be your heir. And the Bible tells us a very important verse, very important verse. Genesis 15, verse 6, says that Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. And that verse has implications not just for Abram and the promises that God made him, but for us today as well. Because you see, whenever we believe the promises of God, when we trust in God... He counts us as righteous as well. And then a few years go by after this happens. Abraham makes some more bad decisions. We're not going to focus on those today. He ends up having a son born through his wife's slave, Hagar. The son's name is Ishmael. 
So he has a son born. And then at age 99, God appears again to him. And he tells him, Abram, walk before me and be blameless so that I may enter into covenant between me and you. And Abram, the man of faith, to be blameless, falls on his face before God. The only proper response to God is to fall before him in humility. And when he falls down and humbles himself, God lifts him up and exalts him. And enters into a covenant with him. And makes a promise to him. And then he also gives him a new name. No longer is his name Abram, which meant exalted father. But his name becomes Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations. God gave him a new identity and a new purpose. Because that's what happens when you meet God and you enter into a relationship with God. When you believe him, he gives you a new name identity, a new purpose, which is found in him, an eternal identity, an eternal purpose, not as the world gives, those that fade away, but as he gives, which lives on forever and ever. And he also gave him a sign of the covenant, a sign that would go throughout all his generations. And throughout all of this, as we've been reading the story of Abraham, God's promises and Abram's faith, now Abraham, as he's known, Abraham's faith, we've been looking at how this isn't just about Abraham and these Old Testament stories, these great stories of faith, but it's also about us today. We see how all these things point to Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled every single promise. And today's not going to be any different when we see what God says to Abraham and to Sarah. We're going to see Jesus again still as the greater fulfillment of these miraculous promises made to them in the Old Testament. So we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 17, beginning in verse 15. This is just a couple of verses after where we left off last week. Remember, God has given Abraham a new name. He gave him the sign of the covenant. And this discussion continues between them. So God has kind of explained the sign of the covenant. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, It says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. Throughout this entire uh, portion of Scripture, we've been looking at God's been talking to Abraham about offspring, told him he's going to have a son, but he never mentioned who the son was going to come through until now. He mentions that it's through his wife, Sarai, whose name is now Sarah. God says in verse 16, he says, I will bless her and she shall become nations. This is similar to what he's already told Abraham. Kings of peoples shall come from her. We know all the kings of Israel wind up coming through the lineage of Isaac and Jacob. In verse 17, then Abraham again doing the right thing in response to God, falls on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, this seems like a reasonable response, right guys? I'm not gonna lie. I, I I won't ask for anybody's age, But there's some of you in here, if I told you today you're going to have a child next year, you'd laugh at me too, 
right? So I completely understand. But this laughter that Abraham gives is almost kind of a laughter of of joy. And it's not that he doesn't believe God. It's just that it almost kind of sounds ridiculous a little bit, right, to think about that. It makes sense to say, hey, I'll give you a son. And he says, okay, but then I'm going to do it through the 90-year-old wife. And Abraham's like, whoa, now that part kind of threw me for a loop. A couple of quick notes before we move on. The name Sarai... God said, you won't call her Sarai anymore, which means my princess. But her name is now Sarah, which just means princess in general. It's not a big change, but I think what God is doing is denoting that she is a princess to all the people who will come through her. She doesn't just belong to Abraham, but she is for all people. And then again, Abram's, Abraham's laughing. See, now I start calling him Abram. I've been calling him Abraham for weeks now, when, before his name got changed, and now I can't get Abram out of my head. Come on. <sighs> Anyways, he laughs, he rejoices, he marvels at what God has said. We know Abraham believes God. The, the scriptures have already told us that. He falls on his face before God. He humbles himself when he laughs to himself about all this. And this is because... God is telling this to him, and the supernatural is colliding with the natural world, and it doesn't always make sense to us. What God is saying to Abraham doesn't make any sense by human means, and yet Abraham believes God. This is when the creator of the entire universe exhibits his power and authority over his creation because it belongs to him, and he does this as a display of his supremacy his love, his benevolence, and his grace, giving us what we don't deserve. We need to remember that what's impossible by human reason and the logic of the world is possible by faith in the one who is greater than this world. We're going to pick up here in a couple of verses, but I'm going to catch us up in between the two. Again, like I say every week, Go back and read these passages on your own. Dive into them. I'm giving you an overview of some of this stuff, but go home, read this for yourself, and spend time understanding what God is promising to this man. So Abraham already has a son. We mentioned that earlier. His name's Ishmael. He had her through uh, his wife's slave woman. So he has a son named Ishmael. And so Abraham's going to plead on behalf of Ishmael, but God rejects Ishmael as the covenant son. Why? Because God promised to give Abraham a son. And instead of believing in God's promise and trusting in him to let him do it in his own time. Instead of trusting God's timeline. Abraham trusted that he'd give him a son. But he wasn't waiting on God's time. So him and Sarah concocted this plan to fulfill it themselves. And because of that, the child who was born from that, the product of that, is rejected as the covenant son. Those things that we do that we think we are earning for God, that we're doing by our own strength and our own power and our own might, by ourselves to prove ourselves to God, he rejects those things. That's not what God is after. God's not after you to prove yourself or for you to fulfill his promises. God is after you to believe in him by faith to bring about his promises. So God rejects Ishmael as the covenant son. And he establishes a covenant with the son promised through Sarah in verse 19. And then he names the child Isaac, which means laughter, or he laughs. So I kind of wonder about this. If this isn't God showing his sense of humor, when he told him, 
I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. Abraham's like, (laughs) God names the child Isaac. Laughter. And we'll see here in a minute that Sarah also laughs at this. And I kind of wonder if God's not like, hey, I'll chuckle along with you. It's pretty funny, right? I'm funny too. So he names the child Isaac. The thing I noticed about this is it's always interesting. Abraham's actions always seem to have a, a consequence or an outcome, right? Whenever Abraham went down to Egypt where he shouldn't have been, Abraham's descendants wound up in slavery in Egypt that they never belonged to. When Abraham chuckles at God when he laughs, God names his son Isaac. There are outcomes for our decisions. Even though our sins are forgiven, the things we do still have outcomes that affect us and those around us, potentially even for generations and throughout the history of the world. So our decisions matter. And then, So Abraham, again, he pleads on behalf of Isaac. He says, why, why can't Isaac be the one who lives before you? And God rejects him. But God also pronounces a blessing on Ishmael. Why? Because he belongs to Abraham. God says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'm going to curse those who curse you. Ishmael's your son. You're pleading on his behalf. I'm going to bless him. And then God leaves. And Abraham obeys, in this next portion, the sign of the covenant, which we talked about circumcision last week. Him at 100 years old and everybody born in his home, which we know is at least 318 men, right? Go through that sign. This is one of the times in the Bible where I don't want the details. I don't care how this event went down. It happened. We're going to skip over the details of how all this went down. Sometimes the Bible doesn't mention things, and we're thankful that it doesn't tell us every detail. But now we move on into chapter 18. It's kind of the next day. God has gone up from Abraham. They performed the sign of the covenant. And now it's noontime. And Abraham is sitting out at the front of his tent. And three men show up. And Abraham goes and he greets them and he entreats them to stay. He wants to make some food for them, offer them refreshment. And then he stands under the tree while they eat. We're going to pick up here and read in Genesis 18, verses 9 through 14. So Abraham has gone and greeted these men. He's entreated them to stay to bring them refreshments. And then he's standing by the tree while they're eating right there. These three men. And so they said to him in verse 9, Where is Sarah, your wife? And Abraham's, and he said, she's in the tent. Now listen to this. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening behind the tent door behind him. So Abraham's outside by the tree. Those guys are eating food. Sarah had made them all this food, but she's hiding inside the tent. She's listening, though, right? He says that, and Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Verse 11, now Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The Bible keeps reminding us how old they were. And the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. If I need to explain that to you, your parents can explain that to you later. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The pleasure of childbirth. And the Lord said to Abraham in 13, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have 
The Lord Jehovah appears to Abraham while he's at Mamre. And we said, but three men appeared, right? This is very important for what we're teaching and talking about today. You know, typically when we think about God appearing to people in the Bible, we think about it being a vision or a voice or a supernatural phenomenon, you know, the burning bush. But sometimes the scripture tells us about these bodily appearances of God on earth, which is kind of strange. And if this is the Lord as it stated, remember I told you in that verse it said the Lord said, if this is God, right, then it's one of three people. We've kind of narrowed that down. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is who God is. Now according to Jesus in John 4, God is spirit. He doesn't have a body. And the Holy Spirit, spirit is his name. He is also spirit. He doesn't have a body. But then we have Christ Jesus, who did have a body, who does have a body. He's the one that the world was made through. He became a man, and he is still a man. According to 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. If you go look that up, In the original language, Paul tells Timothy, the man, Christ Jesus. Anthropos, the man. Because Jesus is both God and he is man. He's fully God, fully divine. He's never not been fully divine. And he became a man. And he's still a man. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he intercedes for us on our behalf as our representative. He suffered for us and died for us so that he could live for us and call us to be alive in him so that we could also live with him forever. And again, Jesus was the word. If we go back to the introduction of John's gospel, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So I submit to you today that this encounter with these three men is what we would call a Christophany. That Jesus Christ appeared before he was ever born on this earth. He appeared and he came to Abraham at the tent with two angels I get that information from uh, Genesis 19, verse 1. You can go read it later. He appeared with two angels that came with him. And he goes and Abraham says, let me wash your feet. Let me get you a meal. Let me give you refreshment. Abraham sits by or stands by the tree while they're eating. And you say, well, no, that sounds ridiculous. Jesus Christ, before he's ever born, let me ask you, is anything too hard for God? Nothing's impossible for him to do if he wants to. I'm sorry, this microphone's not staying on today. That Jesus appears to him. Because another reason I'll say this is because Abraham goes and bows down before him. These men who visit and they accept the, the bowing. Abraham calls him Adonai, which is God's personal name. And he accepts it. If we read in the book of Revelation, angels won't accept worship. They don't allow that. The angel tells John, no, I'm a servant like you. So whenever this man, this Lord, accepts 
that title and that worship from Abraham, he's denoting that this is God. And this blows our minds because it doesn't make sense according to the natural way of things. How can a man exist before he's born? Because God's power is beyond this world. When God decides to do something, he does it, and nothing in all of creation can stop his will and his word. But why does this matter? Why does this matter? Again, is anything too hard for God? The entire point of today that we're looking at is that we're talking about the indefinable and limitless power of God who does everything that he wills to do. He's master of the cosmos and nothing is beyond him. I want you to imagine real quick, what if God showed up today? You go home for lunch. We're having lunch in the FLC today, but imagine you were going home for lunch and all of a sudden three men show up and you go answer the door and you know it's the Lord. And you, cut, you invite him, hey, come in, come in, let me wash your feet. Hey, honey, go, go, go fix them, something real quick, come bring them a snack. And then you sit there while they eat. Could you imagine what it'd be like to have God show up and have lunch with you today? That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? Can I tell you something even more incredible than that? As a believer, you live every single moment in something more incredible than just having God show up for lunch one day. You get to have every single meal with God your entire life. Because he has made you the dwelling for his Holy Spirit. When you believe in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells you. And then as you go, every time you go home from church for lunch, you're having lunch with God. Every time you get in that car to drive to work or to drive to your friend's house or your parents' house to anything, God's right there with you. Every single thing we do is lived before the face of God. It's not just having a moment with him or a meal. As a believer, there's not a moment that you're not with him. And then what's even greater about that is we think about getting to heaven one day and being with God, and that's when we'll be with God. It starts here, but it gets even better there. Because when you die and when you go to heaven, you're still dwelt with the Holy Spirit, but then in the New Jerusalem, you're living in a bodily existence with the Lamb. So it's better than what Abraham had. It's already better and it continues to get better and better. And I also want to talk about this real quick. You know, Sarah kind of laughed at this. And the term she used whenever she says, you know, I'm old and worn out. My, my Lord is old, my husband. You know, and it almost kind of seems like God chastises her because we see that he kind of interprets her thoughts there. And not even, not even our thoughts are hidden from God. There's nothing hidden from his knowledge. Nothing's beyond his power. Nothing's beyond him. But I also want to look at another woman real quick. Another woman that a baby was promised to. In Luke chapter 1, there's a young girl, a virgin named Mary. And an angel appears to her and tells her that her son is going to reign on David's throne. David is one of the kings. Remember, God told that Abraham and Sarah that kings are going to come from you. David is one of the kings that comes from their family lineage. And then the son also promised to rule over the house of Jacob forever and that his kingdom would have no end. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. 
And this promised son in Luke, the son promised to Mary, would rule over the house of Jacob forever. What we see here in Luke chapter 1, when the angel comes to Mary, is actually the complete fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and to Sarah in the Old Testament. God said that kings are going to come from her. And whenever Mary is born of that lineage too, and what he promises to Mary is that this one's going to reign on David's throne, and this one won't just be a king, but the king of kings. And the Lord of lords, the ultimate king for all eternity, come to rescue and save his people. And Mary also asks, how can this be? I'm a virgin, how can this be? And the angel explains to her how the Holy Spirit will come upon her and how she will become pregnant with this child. And he tells her this. It's very interesting. In Luke uh, 1, verse 37, he says that nothing will be impossible with God. If we remember the words that were told about Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? The answer comes in Luke chapter 1, verse 37 in the New Testament. For nothing will be impossible with God. You know, but too often I think we live with a small view of God's power. And what I mean by that is, I think a lot of us would acknowledge, yeah, God God can do anything. We'll acknowledge that, we'll raise our hand for it, we'll say yes, but then we'll go live our life as though God doesn't do nothing. We'll acknowledge all these things when we read the Bible and we'll say, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, he can do that, but he won't, he doesn't. That's the way we'll go live. We'll live as though we were in the circumstances of this 89-year-old barren woman who longs for a child but knows, quote-unquote, knows that the opportunity has come and gone. It's run its course and there's no hope left because of what the world tells us, because of what human logic and reason tells us instead of living by the absolute truth of what God tells us, regardless of what the world has to say about what's going on in our lives. Too often we live with a small view of God and we let the world tell us what's going to happen to us, instead of believing in the promises and words of God of what will happen to us. You know, the same God who brings the dead to life, who makes the barren womb pregnant, who makes the lame walk, gives sight to the blind, delivered his children from slavery, who delivered Israel from their enemies over and over and over again, who fed and watered them when they were in the wilderness, who delivered them countless times, who overcame sin and death. All of that. The same God who did that has placed before you a collection of all of his promises And his will for your life to be one of his children who is loved and cherished by him and forgiven through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because every single thing he said will come to pass. I guarantee you that. Every single thing that God has said will come to pass. And so this week I want you to live what you believe. I want you to live and walk in what you believe about God. I want you to live and walk 
and those promises. I want you to take this word for what it says and say yes and amen to God's promises in your life. Because nothing is too hard for God. And with God, nothing is impossible. Church, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today and we humble ourselves just as Abraham. God, we fall on our face before you, offering no defense for ourselves. We come and we fall before you in humility. And we say, if we have anything good, it is because of you. If we have anything good, it's because you have given it to us. And if we do anything good, it's because of who you are and who you have become in us. God, I pray that you would expand our understanding of what it means to believe in you, what it means to believe in your promises, and what it means to live in those promises. Not to walk by fear, not to walk by the world, but to walk by you, to walk by faith, to walk in Christ regardless of what the world says, because nothing is impossible for you. So encourage us as we follow you, Lord. Show us where you're leading us. Speak truth into each one of our lives, God, as we follow you. I lift up this entire congregation of people to you, O Lord, for you are our Lord, our Savior, and our King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now at this time, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song.